Why do mums need the Bible? Why do they need the Bible? And so I thought today, I mean, we could give, we could give a whole bunch of general kind of answers, but I thought today what we'd actually do is we'd uh, get the answers from Psalm 119. And we're not going to read the whole thing. I think it's 176 verses, but you will need a Bible. So if you don't have one, you can sneak up the back and grab one. Uh, if you've got one on your phone, you should crack that one out. And uh, we're going to get into it. Psalm 119, it's well known for the fact that it's actually the longest psalm. And it's actually um, a massive alphabetic acrostic. All right? Eight verses of 22 stanzas begin with successive letters of the Hebrew alphabet. All right? It's, uh, it's just this massive thing. It focuses on God's law, His statutes, His word, His commands, His decrees, His precepts, His promises. It's actually uh, a psalm that was... Uh, recited at the Feast of Pentecost, which was the spring festival observed 50 days after Passover. And it actually celebrates the giving of the Torah to Moses at Sinai uh, during the wilderness wanderings. So that's, that's what we're looking at. We're going to look at Psalm 119 and answer the question, why do mums need the Bible? So here's how it's going to roll. I'm going to give you five reasons why mums need the Bible. And uh, from Psalm 119, we'll just read the sections associated with each of those. Here's the first one. Uh, Mums need the Bible because they need a strong foundation. So go to uh, verse 1 to 8 with me of Psalm 119. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep His testimonies, who seek Him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in His ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways, listen to this, may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. If they were, and if they are, then I shall not be put to shame. Having my eyes fixed on all your commandments, I will praise you with an upright heart. When I learn your righteous rules, I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Now, when uh, Ange and I, uh, when Ange was pregnant with our, uh, our first child, uh, one of the... Th- Things I said to her, being a realist, which is kind of pseudo, kind of pessimist, uh, but you don't say that out loud, like I just did, but um, being a bit of a realist, I said to my wife at the time, I said, I said to Ange, you know what we've just done? We have just got in the roller coaster and pulled the harness down, and we don't really know where this thing goes, but we're strapped in. And who knows that's the case? Like from conception, that's the case, Right. You just strap yourself in. This thing could actually go anywhere. Uh, It could go all over the place. And the question is, what's going to anchor you? What's going to keep you solid and strong? What's going to help you to handle the blowing of the wind? How are you going to handle health problems with your kids, relational problems, immaturities, conflicts, unteachable moments? What's going to anchor you? Well, the psalmist in Psalm 119 is, is, is clear. It's Scripture. What God says is going to anchor you. Always does. You know, you look at verse 1 there of Psalm 119. Being blameless is good, right? But how do you do that? Well, you follow God's law. You know, you get down to verse 5 and 6 and you find out that those that know and keep God's law, they're strong and they don't get put to shame. You know, you don't, when you hang tight with God, you don't utterly get forsaken. That's what happens. And there's kind of some hallmarks, right, in this uh, section of the psalm of another psalm. Has anyone noticed? Anyone, anyone can think of another psalm that talks about some of this sort of stuff? Psalm 1, right? Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Listen to this. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Solid, fruitful, resilient. You want to be a good mum? You're going to need God's word. Amen? You're going to need God's word. And some of you, I mean, you already know this. If you follow Jesus for a while, you know that what God says 
locks you in. Right? It makes you strong. And you can take a heck of a buffeting. Who knows that? Which mums know that? You can take a heck of a buffeting when you're tight with God and his word. You just can, right? The psalmist nails it. You know, let me say this to you. You know that you're better when you're in the word, when you're reading the Bible. Who knows that? You just know that you are. You're always better when you're reading the Bible. I'm better when I'm reading the Bible. I'm way more holy when I preach than when I'm not preaching. You know why? Because I have to sit all week long, or I get to sit all week long and read the Bible and it washes over me and it changes me. And it's not that I don't do that other times, I just do it in a less concentrated version. Now you can't get up here and just go, oh, I've got something good for you, but I'm not doing it for myself. The thing washes over you, it makes you different. The word locks you in. It's good. Here's the second one. Why do mum say the Bible? Because it preserves purity. Go to verse 9 to 16 with me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. God's word preserves purity in mums. And not just in mums, it preserves purity in kids as well. Either by parents reading it to their kids or kids reading it themselves. Or mums modelling it to their kids. Now, you already do this, all right? But I just want to take a moment to, uh, to just think about this whole thing of purity, right? Randy Alcorn says this. I think it's an amazing statement. Purity is always smart. Impurity is always stupid. Always. I mean, he's got a, uh, he's got a mini book called The Purity Principle. It's a great little book worth getting a hold of. Why is purity smart? Because impurity makes you guilty. It hurts other people. It brings shame, slavery, and it dehumanizes you. Is that enough reasons? It turns into someone who's driven by instinct. You become more like an animal and it just doesn't work. Impurity looks like it works and then it gets you in the end. In some ways, it, it breaches the time-space continuum, right? It kind of just breaks something. It just breaks something in the world, the way that things are meant to work. Well, how do you stay pure? Well, we know from Psalm 119 verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. But here's the bottom line. Purity's got a PR problem, doesn't it? Does anyone agree with me on that? Like it's just, purity is not cool. It's just not cool. You know, I remember teaching at this school here for years and they had issues with kids coming up with their own scripts for drama because there'd always be fighting and brutal stuff going on in the scripts you know now that is part of reality and that is part of what actually happens but it's not all of reality and it highlights at some level the fact that good stuff just doesn't sell (laughs) just doesn't sell enter marketing i mean way back years ago magnum ice creams you remember that they had a uh, whole range of ice creams called the seven deadly sins do you remember that one it's like, yeah, well, let's just sell that. And it, that's cool. People are into sin. They're not into goodness, but they're into sin, so let's sell sin. Sin and impurity sells. And here's the bottom line, is that the marketing machine is, is uh, committed to selling stuff to you all the time. And in a sneaky way. This is a, uh, the first kind of minute. I'm just going to show you a video here. This is the first minute of a show that was on the ABC literally 10 years ago, and it was called uh, Consuming Kids. All right, here we go. It's, I mean, I think that's a little confronting. Is anyone, is anyone with me on that? That's a, but it's true. Like, like, marketing is just a thing, right? And here's the bottom line. You, you can market something, and it can be a good thing, but the way that marketers actually market stuff, well, you just have to be really careful about that. 
Because uh, here's, here's the bottom line, and this sounds a little bit weird, but everyone in this room has got a, at some point in time, and if you don't love Jesus, you've got a significant problem with this, you've got a broken wanter, all right? You've got a busted wanter, and your wanter doesn't want the right stuff, which is why sin sells really well, all right? Um, Forbes magazine, and this is an American stat, but they suggest... Uh, in this article here, the digital marketing experts estimate that most Americans are exposed to around 4,000 to 10,000 ads each day. Now that's a tsunami of advertising, right? Now you go, ah, that's a, it's a bit over the top. All right, have it. <laughs> Two to 5,000. Eh, maybe that's too much. Just give me 10%. You're still in trouble, right? That's still a lot of advertising and marketing that you're actually seeing every day. And this stuff actually doesn't just shape mums your wanter, but it shapes your kids' wanter as well. Now, I'm going to show you an ad that's happening right now. Uh, I only just saw it the other day. It's a BMW ad, right? And it's actually happening at the moment. Now, when I first started watching this ad, and you can say Peter's a sinner, right? And then you're just saying something everyone knows. So that's not even going to be a problem necessarily. Okay, but you could go, Peter's a sinner because he doesn't always get things right. Like at the start of this ad, I'm sitting there and I'm just going, because I'm in the middle of watching some NBA, right? And life's pretty good. It's like, there's a BMW. And, and I'm just, for the first five seconds, I'm going, yeah, that kind of sounds pretty good. And then I just went, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is weird. Here's the ad. There are few greater luxuries in life than having the freedom to do what we want. The time to go where we want. The space to be who we want. And BMW, that car is going to give it to us. But that's not even the problem, right? You know what the big problem is? Us doing what we want got us into the mess in the first place. So the big question that you have to answer when you watch that ad from BMW is not this whole thing about the freedom to do what you want, but what is it that you actually want? What if someone wants to go and kill someone? Yeah, you can have the freedom to do what you want. You can do it in your BMW. You know, run them down. <laughs> you get my point? It just, it, and it's, it's, it's telling you, just go and, do, go and do what you want and we're going to help you to actually do what you want. See, this is, this is kind of what marketing does, right? And this is what culture does. This is, it, it sets up marketing heaven and marketing heaven is the complete freedom to do whatever you want to do. And you just think, if I can just get there, I'll be okay. Now, you don't have to put your hand up, but I bet you plenty of you know people who just went out and did what they want and they're not okay. Does anyone know anyone like that? Because the problem is actually that people have a busted wanter, all right? So here's the question. If there's four to 10,000 marketing messages coming your way and your family's way every day, if that's true, all right, how much effort are you going to have to put into to counter that by getting into the Word? How much saturation in what God says is going to be enough to arrest that kind of barrage that's actually happening to you and your children, mums? Everyone else is off the hook. They're all there going, eh, it's just a Mother's Day message, so I'm all good. There's a uh, deal Moody actually said, either God's word will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from God's word. That's kind of, that's kind of your two options. Mums, you need the Bible because it preserves purity. Here's number three. Um, Mums, you need the Bible because you'll need wisdom. Can you go to uh, verse 97 of Psalm 119? This is especially good section for uh, mums who have got teenage sons. Maybe teenagers in general, but uh, teenage sons. 
because I know a lot of staff teenage nuns, uh, at least some of them say that they do anyway. Psalm 119 verse 97, sorry if you're, teenage, if you're a teenage boy here, I'm just, I'm just being honest with you, you don't know that much stuff, alright? <laughs> How do I know that? Because I don't know that much stuff, right? Psalm 119 verse 97. Uh, oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. Now that is a good counter to uh, the marketing thing, right? Listen to this one. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies. That's a good plan. For it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers for your testimonies and my meditation. I mean, this is a common thing that really, really smart people can make some really dumb intellectual mistakes. Now, if you read stuff by really smart people, you'll actually see this. They make some dumb mistakes in their thinking because it's actually wisdom that comes from being connected to God and listening to God that makes you strong and stable. Verse 10, I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Here's the bottom line, mums, and everyone else, you just don't have the wisdom to get it done. It just isn't there. Now, some of you probably even at this point are just going, yeah, see, this is why we need to go to a different church, right? We need to go to a church that believes in people and kind of backs them, and thinks that they're great. Yeah, we do think you're great. But we think that you're great because Jesus made you and he loves you and he's connected to you. But this, what I'm saying here is actually, uh, it's not about failure. It's about the fact that you were never ever made to get life done on your own in the first place anyway. I mean, you go right back to Genesis chapter 1. As soon as God creates Adam, creates Eve, what does he do? He starts talking to them. Why does he start talking to them? Because they can't work out what they're supposed to be doing on their own. And they're perfect. That's why he starts talking to them. So they become a kind of radio, a living, active human radio that just needs to receive transmission from God regularly to know what they're supposed to be doing. Now, Paul Tripp calls this revelation receivers. You're never, ever, ever, actually, ever meant to work out how to do life on your own. Ever. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter whether you're Two years old, 22 years old, or 202 years old, if that's a thing. You just, you just weren't meant to work it out on your own. That's how, that's how you were designed. And then you get this a little bit down the track in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 8 verse 3, uh, God humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You never graduate to not needing God's revelation and his wisdom and his help from his word. You just don't ever do that. Which is, that's why it's really good. You know, it's like, good to put your hand up and just say, hey, you know what, I don't really know that much. Because no one does. You know, the old, you know, I'm doing some study at the moment, some doctoral study, and you know the old line is, uh, in education, you learn more and more about less and less until eventually you know everything about nothing. Which is kind of what a doctorate is, right? You just narrow down the amount of stuff that you know more and more and more and then you know heaps about it, but you actually don't know that much at the end of the day because there's so much more stuff going on in the world. God would have us be connected well with him so that we get wisdom from him. Here's the last, second last one. There's going to be sorrow. There will be sorrow in your, uh, in your time as a mum, mums, which is why you need the Bible. So if you can turn to verse 25. I am laid low in the dust. Preserve my life according to your word i gave an account of my ways and you answered me teach me your decrees cause me to understand the way of your precepts that i may meditate on your wonderful deeds my soul is weary with sorrow strengthen me according to your word 
Keep me from deceitful ways. Be gracious to me and teach me your law. I've chosen the way of faithfulness. I've set my heart on your laws. I hold fast to your statutes, Lord. Do not let me put, be put to shame. I run in the path of your commands, for you have broadened my understanding. Mums, here's the bottom line. Uh, you're going to need strength. Hard things are going to happen. Things are going to get out of your control. There's going to be sickness, conflict, emotional turmoil. It's going to be shattered dreams, tiredness, manual repetitive labour that's just going to get you down. There's going to be times where your kids are going to create trouble between you and your husband. There's probably going to be conflict between you and your husband. Stuff's going to get to you. We're going to finish well, just saying. You know, like Proverbs chapter 10 verse 1 says, A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. So when that happens, when stuff happens and you get put under the pump, where are you going to get your strength from? How are you going to do it? When you would repeat after the psalmist in Psalm 119 verse 25, My soul clings to the dust, what are you going to do? How do you go on? Well, trouble forces the psalmist closer to God and closer to God's words, right? Because only God can help him. My soul melts away for sorrow, verse 28 says. Strengthen me according to your word. You know, we've got grief there, the opposite of joy, in trouble. But the Lord is actually going to comfort and he's going to help. He's going to speak right into that situation through his word. Who knows that? Who knows that you just... I, I get in places where I desperately just need God to cut across the spot that I'm in. You get what I'm saying? Like it, it's just like I'm going that way and I just need... I need him to intersect with whatever's going on for me and just kind of cut across where I'm going. There's life in God cutting across that and helping us with things. Here's the last one. Why do mums need the Bible? To be blessed. That's why. Go back to verse 1 to 3 of Psalm 119. Read it with me. Blessed are those. You know what that word blessed means in the Hebrew? It means a heightened state of happiness and joy, favourable circumstances and enjoyment. Who wants that? Come on, let's, let's get into it. Don't be lame in your desires. You want to be blessed? What do you have to do? You walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. There's a blessing for people who give themselves to wise living. Amen? There is. There's a blessing for that. Now, pre-Christian days, you probably didn't actually want to follow God. But the whole deal with the new covenant, the whole deal with Jesus coming is he fixes the busted wanter. And so now you want stuff it's really, really good. You want stuff that actually leads to a blessing. Who can see that in their own life? This is an all play. That now you want stuff that actually leads to blessing, right? And I wonder if we had, if this was a community group, it's too big to do it, right? But we could have a good conversation about this, right? We could say, uh, we could ask a question, something like this. How has God blessed you uh, by following him and doing what he says? We could go to dinner. Couldn't we? Talking about that, I reckon. And your mums would get really angry because you'd miss out on lunch. So we're not going to do that, right? But you could. We could go for a long time. Now, there's a catch, right? And here's the catch. The Bible can be a bit gnarly sometimes, Right? And not in a really cool way. It's like a gnarly, difficult thing to get into. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? It's just, it, it can be a bit tricky sometimes. It can be a bit difficult. Because here's, here's the bottom line. Everything that I've just brought out this morning out of Psalm 119, is, is, it actually originally wasn't intended for mums. It's actually inten attended, intended for everyone. So I would ask all of you, do you want a strong foundation? Do you want to stay pure? 
See it? Do you want wisdom? Do you want to be smarter than your teachers? Do you want to be smarter than your accusers? Do you want to be able to keep going when you get into really, really hard times of sorrow? Do you want to be able to do that? Do you want to be blessed? Well, then you need to be in the Word. You need to be reading the Bible every day. Sometimes for hours during the day. Now, the Bible is not unaware of its own difficulty to read sometimes. Right? This is out of Second Peter 3. Uh, this is Peter. Therefore, beloved, since you're waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul, who also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things, this is in Paul's letters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. Yeah, <laughs> there are. In fact, the whole scriptures are stuff that's hard to understand. And there's snags around the place. I mean, I mean, why? Why is it hard to understand? Sometimes it's because of history, because it was written a long time ago. It's, it's language. There's some concepts. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? That, like, there's some concepts in there. You just go, man, that's just that's really hard to understand. Kind of wasn't written for your time directly. There's nothing about Facebook in there or Instagram. It's written in Hebrew, Aramaic and Greek. It's like, okay, we could have organized that a little bit better and just straight into English would have been good. So what do you do when it's gnarly? Or do you give up? I am... I probably think in our day with all of the digital helps that we've got, they're giving up. I don't want to insult you, right? But it probably says something about your desire more than it says about the fact that there's no help out there for you. Do you understand what I mean? Like there's so many preachers you can listen to. There's, there's lots of, I mean, I'm going to mention some of this stuff in a minute. There's just lots of stuff that you can get. There's lots of books. You know, you go back a couple of thousand years, they, they just didn't have anything like this. You know, you, you can actually really drill into stuff. You go, well, I don't like reading. I say, well, buy an audio Bible and someone will read it to you. I mean, at the, on the front end of it, right, at the start of it, one of the things I think you need to do is like, just get into it somewhere, right? So I'm, I'm not up here saying, listen, if you don't, just become more holy and just brighter and shine the grace of God to people by reading Leviticus, you, you just don't, it doesn't count, right? I'm not saying that, right? Just get into it. Get into it somewhere and read something. Find a section that you find relevant. Start with Jesus in the Gospels, start with the Psalms and then grow and work hard to understand stuff. Get some good aids. This is a really good aid. You you should check this one out and maybe show some of your kids this one. Now, it's called The Bible Project. So they make kind of animated, really wonderful videos, like five to ten minute videos that describe whole books of the Bible and themes that run the whole way through the Bible. It's just outstanding. It's really, really good stuff. So just go and watch a video before you actually, uh, before you actually kick in into a book of the Bible. Read catechisms. I think catechisms can be really, really helpful. Uh, my favourite catechism is the Heidelberg Catechism, right? What does the catechism do? Well, in the Heidelberg, it asks a question and then it gives an answer and it gives a whole bunch of scriptures that connect to that answer. So the first question in the Heidelberg Catechism is, what is my only hope in life and in death? And the answer, that I belong body and soul to my Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And then it gives you a bunch of scriptures you can look up, all right? So get something that helps to kind of distill it down a little bit. Another uh, option for you is to, um, is to read different Bible versions, all right? So when it comes to Bible versions, you've got down one end is kind of the more literal translation, which is like just trying to bring it out as closely to the original language as possible, but usually they're a bit more clunky. And then down the other end, so down this end, you've probably got um, the King James Version, the New King James Version, 
down this end, you've probably got, uh, you got the more interpreted versions that make it really sing really well in the local kind of language, in our culture's language. So the message is probably down this end, right? Now, I, I don't think I ever quote from the message and I'll never preach from it because it's, it's a bit of a paraphrase, really, and it's just, in my view, it's not quite tight enough, right? But here's the bottom line. If you go, oh, okay, Peter's saying you're not allowed to read the message. No, he's not saying that. Like, if you're not going to read anything else, read the message. But the best one, I reckon, or the best versions are the ones in the middle that get a good balance between the reader and the original language. Okay, and one of the ones that's arguably probably around the middle there would be the NIV. Okay, so the NIV is probably a good choice. We use the ESV here at church, which is just a little bit toward the, the, uh, the more clunky kind of end of the spectrum. Um, but pick one. But I actually find it really helpful to look at one. So the New Living Translation is probably up this end a little bit more uh, on that side of centre. And I actually find it really helpful to read those versions when I'm actually preparing for a message. Um, so read them all right if it's the only thing you read read it but try and I would encourage you to graduate towards something kind of in the middle a good um, a good book that discusses this is uh, are these guys Gordon Fee and uh, Douglas Stewart how to read the Bible for all it's worth they've got a whole section in there on Bible translations and how to read the Bible so that you understand it they've got another one how to read the Bible book by book um, There's lots of aids out there, all right? I can help you with, uh, with stuff uh, I- if you'd like some more uh, recommendations. Um, just listen to any sermon by Tim Keller or John Piper. And the reason why I, s- I cite those guys, for example, is that they actually take a Bible passage and preach from a Bible passage. So you're doing something Leviticus, look up Tim Keller, Google Tim Keller or John Piper Leviticus, right? And you'll find their Leviticus stuff and you just go, oh, okay, they're making... Leviticus makes sense. Uh, the best audio Bible that I like is the guy who actually does the uh, reading for the Jesus Storybook Bible. He's actually on TV. David Suchet He's a pommy guy. You can actually, he actually uh, for a long time wanted to, um, to read the NIV Bible uh, as an audio Bible. He's got the most amazing British voice. So you can just buy his and I mean I'd, I'd fall asleep listening to it sometimes. It's like, anyway... That's not because it's really bad. It's like, man, it's just, you know, I just, I, I love to just listen to it. I, I listen to uh, scripture and when I'm resting and uh, it's just really easy to listen to him. Um, I know there's a bunch of women in the church that enjoy the First Five app. Uh, there's lots and lots of help. So just find something that's going to help you. Now, here's where I want to finish. Can you go back to Psalm 119? Go back to verse 1. See, uh, I just want you to notice something, and I, I think you actually see this all over the place. Psalm 119, verse 1. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord, Blessed are those who keep, what's the next word there, like in the ESV? His, right? Bam! Second verse, we're not just talking about theory anymore, we're not just talking about reading something and understanding something, all of a sudden we're actually connecting with a person. Did you see that? So when you read the Bible, it's actually not, you don't read the Bible and engage with the Bible for the Bible's sake. You, you engage with the Bible to connect with the person who wrote the thing, who said it in the first place. So the point of it is actually him. It's actually Jesus. You know, it would be a dumb thing <laughs> for a wife to say something nice to a husband and the husband to fall in love with his wife's words and forget her. Wouldn't that be weird? That was just an amazing stanza of romantic speech. <laughs> and then just going off about this amazing stanza of romantic speech and forgetting the wife. That would be weird, right? And sometimes I think Christians do that. They get so 
I kind of, I get so far into Scripture, and I'm all about getting right into Scripture, but I'm never about getting into Scripture at the expense of missing Jesus, at the expense of missing God. Words, Scripture, I mean, there's such a close connection between what God says and Himself, it almost seems weird to split the two, right? Well, what's the bottom line? The bottom line is that we need, I think we need to slow down when we read Scripture and read less informationally and read more relationally. So when you read a Scripture, the point of you actually reading a Scripture is not to go, yeah, I know that. It's not for you to actually learn another little thing and then you'll be okay. It's actually you need to, that knowledge needs to come to full fruit in relationship with God. So... Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take you through two scriptures really quickly where, uh, that I've read recently and I'm going to... Uh, you can pray for me later if you think it's weird but I'm just going to take you through the things that I think about when I read scripture. Okay? Where you actually slow down and read more relationally rather than informationally. Can you go to Deuteronomy 12? And this is a little bit of a, a case study of um, one way to read the Bible, okay? And I'm not saying my way is the right way or the only way. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying this is the way that I do it. And I'll just give you a, a couple of samples and I'll pick a really weird scripture. Well, maybe not totally weird, but a, um, one that some of you are going, oh, you got something out of that. So Deuteronomy is kind of Moses' best off sermon. The people are about to go into the promised land. He's up there. He's giving them a G up before they go in. He's kind of summarizing a whole bunch of stuff that's been written down before, preaching up a storm, right? It's a really, it's a really good uh, message. So this is uh, Deuteronomy 12, verse 20. When the Lord your God enlarges your territory as he has promised you, and you say, I will eat meat because you crave meat, you may eat meat wherever you desire. If the place that the Lord your God will choose to put his name there is too far from you, then you may kill any of your herd or your flock which the Lord has given you as I have commanded you. So the, look, the background here is this. Um, they're meant to sacrifice sacrifices in the appointed place, not wherever they want. But if they're too far away and they want to kill an animal to eat it, they need to actually sacrifice it using the same kind of... Um, same kind of rules as sacrificial offerings, but they can actually kill it and butcher it and eat it and eat the meat. All right, that's kind of what he's talking about. This is not what I thought about when I was reading it, by the way, but I just did a bit of research to get you in there. Uh, verse 22, Just as the gazelle or the deer is eaten, so you may eat of it. The unclean and the clean alike may eat of it. Only be sure that you do not eat the blood, for the blood is the life. You shall not eat the life with the flesh. You shall not eat it. You shall pour it out on the earth like water. You shall not eat it, that all may go well with you and with your children after you when you do what is right in the sight of the Lord. But the holy things that are due from you and your vow offerings you shall take and you shall go to the place that the Lord will choose. Might even just stop there. Now, it's a, I was, David Suchet read this to me this morning when I was standing in front of the fire. All right, and something struck me this morning as I was listening to it. Now it's an odd kind of little passage about not eating and drinking blood and that sort of stuff. But do you know what struck me? Um, if you go to verse 23 there, only be sure that you do not eat the blood, for the blood is the life and you shall not eat the life with the flesh. Now I just went, that's interesting. All right, and do you know where my head went straight away is it actually went to the Last Supper. And I just went, that's interesting. Like you're not meant to eat the blood or drink the blood of an animal because it's the life of it. But yet Jesus is saying at the Last Supper, this is my flesh and this is my blood given for you. Now, that just got me thinking, right? And the next step for me was like, huh, that's interesting. So the whole way along, you're not meant to eat or drink blood in the sacrificial system. But Jesus shows up and then he's saying, Here's my blood in the, in the wine and here's my, uh, my flesh in the, in the bread. So for me, 
and I'd, I would encourage this, you can get an abridged version of this, it's only two volumes, but I reckon one of the best just kind of compact commentaries around the place is um, the Expositor's Bible Commentary, all right? And uh, so what's the next step that I'm doing is I'm just going, huh, I'd like to find out some more about that. <laughs> I'd like to know what that is. Um, and you know what I started reading and it was, um, you know, the whole Old Testament sacrificial system is pointing to Christ. That's what it is. And the, uh, the animals that were sacrificed were actually meant to be completely sacrificed. Like the, the blood, the life of the animal is just totally given up. And then you get to the cross and what's Jesus doing is he's actually giving his life to us. Anyway, this is not a sermon on that, but these, these are just some of the things I just thought about this morning when I was reading it. So oh, isn't that interesting? And then there was an earlier part in it, which I actually didn't read, but there was an earlier part where where uh, Moses says, when you get in there, don't just sacrifice wherever you want to do it. And that even hit me. I just thought, isn't that it? Like we humans just need someone to stand up and say, you know what, there's just things that you shouldn't do. That you can't do. Like you can't just go around and do whatever you want. <laughs> it's not good for you to go around and do whatever you want. And so God gives instructions about that. So these, these was, they, they were just a couple of the things I was thinking about, Deuteronomy 12, when I was reading it this morning. All right? And I think you can probably get started a little bit on some of that stuff. You probably need some helps. Uh, but there, there's some good stuff to be mined there in the Scriptures. Here's, um, here's the last one. You know this one, right? So I was reading this one the other day, and I'll, uh, I'll just give you some really quick reflections and things that I was thinking about as I was reading this. You could read that. It's Psalm 23. Like it's probably, it, it would be the most well-known psalm that exists. Right? And you could read it and you could go, underneath you could be going, yeah, I know. You could probably, maybe some of you could even sing it. Famous psalm. Almost, I would think most Australians know Psalm 23. Well, they will have heard it or they'd recognise it when they heard it. So what do you do when you sit down and you read Psalm 23? Well, I've got this Fighter Versus app from John Piper and the thing just malfunctions, right? So I actually get notifications on my iPad, the first two verses of Psalm 23 every three days and that's been going on for the last two or three years, right? And some of you go, you need to get rid of the app. And I just go, well, I don't know. Sometimes it just feels like it malfunctions at a really good time for me, right? Because Hebrews 4 says the Word of God is living and active. It's an active thing and who knows that you can actually read the same thing over and over and get different things out of it because of the, the activity of the Spirit and the liveliness of, of what, God, what God says. So, I read a day or two ago, the Lord's my shepherd. And I thought, do I have a shepherd right now? Am I... Am I being shepherded? Uh, if he's a shepherd, that makes me a sheep. Am I trying to shepherd myself right now? Am, am, I, am I letting him shepherd me? Hmm. So then I read the next bit and I went, uh, I shall not want. And, and I went, yeah. So I, I want a lot right now I don't, I don't i don't feel particularly satisfied right now I, I i can see a whole bunch of kind of you know hungry baby just about just before a feed just kind of kicking around and unsettled i'm just i'm just seeing myself being huh, maybe um maybe he's not my shepherd right now and that's not because he He's not. It's, it's like in practice, maybe I'm just trying to shepherd myself right now. Uh, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Oh, yeah, it's interesting because earlier today I wanted rest and I didn't go to him to get it. And I, s I sat down in front of the TV. I switched off. I disconnected from people around me. 
Yeah, he, he didn't lead me into rest. I got it for myself. Thanks. He leads me beside still waters. He, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I, I know that, right? I know that even, even when I'm not restored, I can see the moments where he's led me and he's shepherded me and I've been restored. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Am I, am I scared? Can I, can I see any fear or anxiety inside of me? Am I with him? Do, do I know his presence? And all the way along, you know, like I, as I read through this, and it's been reading it a lot um, in the last few years, is just talk, talking, talking to Jesus. You know, it's not just about going, I'm shepherding myself. It's like, I know you're a better shepherd than me. I just know that you're better than me. And I know that the rest that you bring is better than me. I'm, I'm sorry, like I'm just, I'm tending to my own. It's self-care day today. And I'm looking after myself and I'm, I'm not looking to you. You're the one that said that you would give me everything that I needed. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You ever had that? I've had that. I've had strident en enemies and God blessed me right in front of them. And so when I read through, I just go, yeah, I know. For years and years, I never knew what that was like. But when I had some... Strong enemies, God bless me, right in front of them. And so I, even when I read it, I just go, oh, that, I don't know whether that's my current experience right now, but I, kn I know what that's like and I know that's what you do. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So you have to, one of the things I think that happens is when we read stuff, maybe the music team can come up. One of the things I think we need to do when we read scripture is not, we just read it informationally so much. Like verse 6 there, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. What difference would that make to you if you truly believed it? What difference does it make to you? Like seriously, like <laughs> goodness and mercy, Psalm 23 says, goodness and mercy will pursue you for the rest of your life. There's a there's a side to um, reading scripture where you have to tr where you just have to decide whether you're going to trust Jesus or not. You you just have to decide whether you're going to trust Him, whether you're going to. When He says something, whether you're going to say, "I believe you." Now that. You read scripture like that and that's going to be different to just accruing more information, right? Where you're just trying to learn more stuff or 
trying to nail down the early nice stuff. You know, he, he says, I love you. And he says it a lot. But you have to work out whether you believe him. Do you believe him? I did a um, a blog when we were doing chaplaincy in the school years ago uh, when Pokemon Go first came out. And, um, you know, virtual reality is you have something and it helps you to see stuff that you can't see with the naked eye. In virtually every single relationship that you have, right, if you don't trust people and you don't believe people and people are not trustworthy, stuff just disappears from it. Right? You just, you, like, it's like the view that you have in that relationship, like you just, you, you don't know the other person as well, they don't know you as well, stuff just kind of shuts down around the place. Like, it's like there's all these light bulbs hanging there and they're all kind of blowing out because people don't trust each other. Is it, does that make sense? Like you just, you just don't see what's actually there anymore because the trust is gone and you don't believe each other. But when you trust someone else in a relationship, who knows that a whole bunch of new information actually opens up about them. A whole bunch of new stuff is kind of going on between you and them because you've actually trusted them. Did, does that make sense? And it's like that with virtual reality, right? You get some assistance and all of a sudden, oh man, like there's all this other stuff going on that I never even knew was there. And you know, it's like that with, uh, with God's Word. When you go to it, if you just read it as information, yeah, you get something. But if you read it and you slow down and you go, do I really truly and deeply believe him that goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life because he died on the cross all of a sudden this whole new view opens up right and you start seeing things that you never saw before but you don't get to see him unless you trust him